Future Pulse, investigating innovative cardiovascular research and the intersection of academic theory and clinical practice. I'm Dr. Thomas Nero, interventional cardiologist and director of cardiovascular research at CAFC. Welcome to part two of our discussion with Dr. Sharon Hayes. Dr. Hayes is a professor of medicine at the Mayo Clinic, as well as the director of the Women's Heart Center. She is an internationally recognized expert in spontaneous coronary dissection, as well as women's heart disease. You alluded to the question that I was going to ask about genetic testing. There's a couple of genetic tests that have been developed over the last few years. When we looked at the percentage of patients who actually had these genetic abnormalities, it's relatively small. We've been looking for this genetic connection for a while, and that we have, have mostly been within the collagen protein matrix, but it hasn't been near universal. What does it tell you as far as where we might be going as far as genetic evaluation, and does it really tell us that maybe there's more than one kind of SCAD? So just a a little bit of background. Familial SCAD happens, but it's incredibly rare. We have about 12 cases in our registry of 1,500. Until recently, they were all women pairs, sisters, aunt, niece, mother, daughter, recently had a couple where it was brother, sister, so men can have familial. And back, gosh, almost a decade ago, we looked at whole exome sequencing of probands and their parents. It became very clear, and that was just 27 patients, there is no SCAD gene. Because if there was a SCAD gene, we looked at every gene. We've known that for a while. There were some familial signals, candidate genes that came out of that whole exome sequencing in about three or four families, but it was a different gene in each family. So I think what that told us pretty early on that this is likely polygenetic, there isn't going to be a single gene like a Marfan's, and it will come through multiple pathways, but clearly, at least in some individuals, there is a familial component. There's several commercially available gene panels that have 30-something genes that often are offered to SCAD patients. In our experience and Mass General, less than 5 or 6% have one of those genes that is positive. And so that tells us something else. We look for Ehlers-Danlos, we look for Marfan's, we look for an identified syndrome. Most SCAD patients do not have that. I think it's still reasonable, particularly in somebody who has other stigmata of those conditions, have aortic dilatation, which some of the SCAD patients do, but that's actually the minority of them. Over the past few years, there have been increased individual centers, ours being one of them, but also international collaborations where we're putting all our samples together and trying to see if we can see any signals that might be more common. And particularly with the fact that the factor one gene location which we know is more common in patients with fibromuscular dysplasia. There's some others that are less common in some of those. And it's getting close to a dozen different susceptibility loci is what we call them because there is a clear signal in patients with SCAD having them more frequently. And there is some biologic plausibility in that they are in the collagen matrix. They are in some type of blood vessel integrity location. But we're still a long way, I think, for telling patients, oh, we've got a blood test for you. So I'm excited, but I try to temper the excitement with colleagues and patients 
who I will tell you a lot of these middle age women. So if the average age of SCAD is in the forties, they have adult daughters. They have daughters who are getting married and thinking about getting pregnant. You know, they know enough that this is a women's thing. This is a pregnancy risk time. I, I want to know. The hope that we all have that are participating in this research is that we'll continue to identify some of these risk markers. We will be able to connect them perhaps with deep phenotyping. So how much does this impart risk? Maybe it's a small part. Maybe it's a pretty major part. Maybe there will be prognostic information and a polygenic risk score that can both provide prognosis, perhaps for recurrence rates for patients who've already had a SCAD, but the holy grail might be how might we predict it in somebody who's never had a SCAD. So that's future watch, but there are some intriguing findings in some of these issues. Uh, one being particularly for the uh, the factor one and the EDN1 genes is if you have one mutation, you are more likely to be a woman, to have FMD and have a SCAD. And if you have the other allele, you're more likely to be a man and have atherosclerosis. So we don't know what to make of that, but it may actually be that if you have SCAD, you may be relatively protected from development of atherosclerosis for unclear as of now reasons. That doesn't mean if they have an LDL of 200, we should not treat them. with them. But it's a ways off. And I think we temper excitement, but also stay the course. I do think that the importance of doing this research and making these connections actually goes well beyond SCAD. Our ability to identify what's going on in coronary arteries and in vasculature in general informs everything we do about other vascular diseases beyond SCAD, beyond FMD. We can never predict where the research is going to take us. And I was having some discussions with some people at Oxford about some research that they're doing in coronary inflammation. They were starting to look at nitric oxide initially, and what they found out was something extremely different on the vascular signaling that's happening outside of the vessels and the inflammation that's happening outside the vessels. Research often will bring up the other questions that we need to be asking. And those associations, like you said, perhaps this factor one issue ends up being a treatment for atherosclerosis or vice versa. Who knows? One of the other intriguing questions that I've always wanted to ask you, we very rarely see men with SCAD. It's almost always women. And the very few times that I've seen a patient who was told to me that was a male patient with SCAD, when I re-looked at their angiogram, I said, really? Are you sure it's SCAD? Because certainly medial necrosis of the atherosclerotic plaque can present with a dissection. And so how often do you really believe that the male patients truly have SCAD? And secondarily, why do you then believe, and this is the hard question, why do you believe it affects women and not men? Okay. Those are two hard questions. I will say that we do question SCAD in men probably more than they actually have it. Because I agree with you that an atherosclerotic dissection is probably more common. I also think that we may be missing it because we assume atherosclerosis, right? And so the true prevalence of SCAD in men, I think is we have softer data than we do for women. And there's a couple of reasons. One is the design of most of the studies, including ours. It is a registry that actually was initiated by patients who were on an online community for women with heart disease. Okay. So there were no men in our registry at first. 
So I, who have decried the fact that women are not included in medical research in adequate numbers for pretty much my entire career, now have a registry that probably is under-enrolling men. I'll just go there. Um, That's the irony of this. That said, there are men, and I think it's probably a different mechanism. Men have been observed to more often have a trigger of extreme physical activity. But the few men that are in my practice, I have one who's had three SCADs. So he's actually had recurrent SCAD. I have another young man who actually had it shortly before he was supposed to leave for his destination wedding. And these were young people who had no atherosclerosis. We're really interested in getting more of the men in formal registries because I do think there's going to be something different. Now, what are some of the differences? If you've got a condition that one is 90% female and two has an uptick in risk around pregnancy and delivery, there has to be something hormonal, estrogen or hormonal fluxes that's at play. Even in non-pregnant women, we do know that there's estrogen receptors on every single blood vessel. And if FMD is really a big player, it is mainly in women. And so maybe that's the connection. It's a great question, but I would push back. I think that there are men who have SCAD. And if we think that women feel like they're the oddballs when they have SCAD, men really feel like it. So I think we're undercounting the men, honestly. How do you counsel these patients? Do you have any magic here? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think for, I will start with counseling my colleagues who see these patients before I do. Don't tell any patient how excited you are to see this interesting condition. I, I will tell you so many of them, um, oh, my doctor said I was his first, or he's so interested. He's only seen one other one. No patient wants to hear that. Just That's just for our colleagues. And that would be for any uncommon condition. But I think the other thing is I try not to focus on what we don't know. I'm honest about what we don't know, but I lead with hope because the vast majority of individuals who have a SCAD do well. They do better than a person who has atherosclerotic heart attack. They tend to have smaller heart attacks. Most will have normal left ventricular function without wall motion abnormalities. So I talk about the research observations that are positive. I don't say, oh, we don't know what causes this. I do, but not that way. I will say things like, since some, a minority of SCAD heart attacks have happened either with severe emotional or physical stress, it is with an abundance of caution that we kind of tell all patients you shouldn't do this or that. And we hope that someday we will be able to give you more individualized advice. So I I try to frame this as we don't know exactly. I'm giving you the best science and I'm willing to revisit. And it sounds like that's kind of what you do too by saying, I'll see you in, in a year and we'll revisit it. I'm also don't shy away from the fact that because I know that some women were told, um, hopefully not still being told, that this was a lightning strike. It's one and done. Go on and live your life. That is most patients' experience. But you do not want an individual to go back to CrossFit. And so having that conversation about the data, it's, it's probably 2 to 3% per year that people will have a recurrence. And we don't right now have a way to say whether you're at very low risk or high risk. So live your life as if it's not going to happen, but be prepared if it is. Have a plan and know what you're going to do. 
but you'll probably do great with hope for the future because we're actively doing research in this and that there's an awful lot of people, including you, who are interested in how we can better understand and manage it. I guess I sprinkle in with the uncertainty is what we do know and the likelihood that we will know a whole lot more in a couple of years. Because even if they are traveling to see me, you know, in Minnesota, and don't necessarily, because they are doing really well, need to come back, I say, check in, you know, send a portal message. In a couple of years, we might have something else. Maybe I want to image you again. Maybe we can stop that aspirin. Maybe there's something we would do, be doing differently based on knowledge. So briefly, I wanted to talk to you just very briefly about how you developed your first registry for SCAD, because I think it's incredibly instructive on ways that we may be looking at more of these rare diseases and what you see as the benefits and the potential pitfalls of those kinds of research endeavors. The background is that I've been involved in advocacy and particularly patient advocacy and patient education and educating patient advocates for a long time, since the late 90s. And so I was running an annual training program with Women Heart, the National Coalition for Women with Heart Disease, that was training women to go back to their community. So these were not male patients. These were women who applied for this program. And so it was in 2009, and I was at a break, coffee break from this meeting, and two women approached me who were participants. They had heart disease, and they had said, Dr. Hayes, what is Mayo Clinic doing to study SCAD? I had founded a women's heart clinic. I kind of puffed up, and I said, you know, I probably know more about SCAD than most people, but nobody really knows much about it. And not even a Mayo Clinic could study it because it's so darn rare. And they let me go on. And then they said, well, you know, on Women Hearts online community, I was well aware of it, had been on it, would moderate it sometimes. And they were part of it. On Women Hearts online community, you know, we've kind of gathered about 70 women across the world who've had SCAD. And that just sounded like a lot to me, even over a coffee <laughs> pot. And I'll see one or two a year. I probably figured I might see more since I run a women's heart clinic. I went back to my this office and I did a lit search. It was the end of the day. I'd been teaching all day. And at the time, the largest case series was like 42 patients. And these people had said, we have 70 patients. But they were on an online community on a platform where they did not need to reveal their names, their real names. There was no identifying email or anything. So I needed to figure out how yeah, there's 70 patients, but they're in an online community for women with heart disease with names like Heart Mommy and Betty Boop too. And so how do you leverage that into anything meaningful that would be science? And I engaged a, a colleague who was at the time as a medicine resident, a rock star researcher, future cardiologist, Dr. Marisha Tweet, who is now faculty at Mayo. And we decided maybe we'll do something. We'll just start and just do beta testing. So we got IRB approval and there were some hoops because at the time, remember this is in 2010 at this point, we were restricted from emailing patients that might be a violation of their uh, safety. So we got IRB approval to see if we could do 12 patients. We knew that wasn't going to tell us anything about SCAD, but could we get their angiograms, get angiographic confirmation of SCAD and get enough data to be able to report something? Obviously, how do you let people know? Well, we let the women who were on the online community and they posted it. And within a week, we had more than 12 people who were interested. And so we took a very unscientific sample of the first 12 that got us their angiograms. Remember, this was to see if we could do it. 
And of those 12, we were able to confirm 10. The biggest logistical hurdle was getting the angiograms because one was in Australia, one was in England, but we thought we would include them because that was important. And out of that, we tried to run up and publish it and we got shot down. There's bigger series than that. You can't tell us anything about scan. I said, but but no, we have a crowdsourced, patient-initiated research program that could be really exciting. And we ended up getting one of our social media colleagues at Mayo to be one of the co-authors <laughs> to put that slant on it. Then I was having a conversation with Ron Winslow at the Wall Street Journal, and he asked, what's exciting you today? And I told him about this paper. I said, it's not even been accepted, but it's really cool. You should hear this story about these two women. So he actually published an article in the Wall Street Journal about them and the process, not about the paper that came out when the paper did. That gave us a boost. We had no study coordinator. We had no funding. And we thought if we ever got a hundred patients in this registry, that would be so cool, right? And there were people who said, my sister sent me the Wall Street Journal article and said, didn't you have this? Hey, they're studying it. I had a, an expat in China who emailed me. She was sitting in a hospital in China, in Shanghai, with her SCAD. So that clearly was some serendipity and a boost. And also because most studies like this, cardiac studies, require people to physically come. And we thought through that. We said, okay, we're not going to have a history. We can't have that give and take. So in addition to the medical records, which we asked them to send, we asked them to give us a narrative to tell us so we could fill in the blanks. What that opened up, and some are literally four and five page single space typed or heartrendingly handwritten stories of every minute of what they felt and their fear, the people that didn't believe them, that they were sick. That's a unique aspect we designed it for practical reasons. Okay, you'll tell us what your symptoms were, even if we know the doctor shorthanded it and said something else. We'll use your account. But I think when you read through some of these narratives, they really allowed the participants to share their experience and frustration in a really different way, and probably even a different way than if they were sitting in my office, honestly. One study that I remember that they looked at the linguistic analysis of women presenting in emergency rooms and that women present differently. But when they did the analysis and you actually listened to them and you didn't interrupt them, 80 to 90% of women who present with what turns out to be a non-STEMI or STEMI will say the words chest pain. Yeah. But it does require us to have that sort of deep listening so flash forward, we published that little paper about the 12 and the research methods in, in 2011, and we now have over 1,500 consented patients. That means probably 2,500 angiograms that have been looked at by my colleagues, Dr. Rajiv Galati and Patty Best. And sometimes we can't confirm. I later may see the patient, and I am very confident that it's a SCAD, but since we do it by angiogram. And so we did tell the patients, you don't meet criteria, not that you didn't have a SCAD. And others, we clearly see this was embolic or it was a young woman, but there was another rare cause of the condition. And I think that's where the experience of my colleagues literally looking at thousands of these has been very helpful to me. I am not an interventionalist and working with our team of radiologists and interventional cardiologists and 
maternal fetal medicine, if a patient gets pregnant or wants to talk about whether or not, we've got a pretty great team. One last question here. You have the pulse of, um, hate to use that term, you have the pulse of what's been happening with SCAD, where things are going. What research do you see that's happening now with SCAD or FMD, vascular disease in general, that really excites you that you think that this may be something that really has the legs to take us to the next step on our understanding this disease? One, I think, is just better understand the genetics or what it isn't and stopping over-testing. For instance, there's been a lot of case reports about certain associations, autoimmune conditions that happen more often in women. And we need some population-based studies. And we were able to look at that particular question and say autoimmune conditions are no more common in women with SCAD versus not. It's identical in the population. Right now, many of the data sets, including our SCAD registry, are biased by tertiary medical centers. So I think getting some more prevalence and other things in population-based, and I think we're starting to do that. I think the genetics in terms of prognosis will be very important, and I think we're on a roll with that. The other, which is more challenging and far more expensive, is trying to organize some randomized control trials to look at some important questions like beta blockers or not. We make a lot of people stay on beta blockers who that makes them pretty sick. And you'd be willing to do that if you had evidence that it actually improved their outcome. And if it didn't, you might then feel more comfortable saying, stop the metoprolol. The antiplatelet agent question is also important. There's a European consortium that's trying to put together randomized control trial to look at that. I'm hoping that they will be successful. I think it's just really tough and it's hard to get that kind of funding because yes, SCAD is way more common than we thought it is. It's still not very common. And getting enough power to be able to randomize and answer these questions remains very challenging, but I think something that we should really push to to look for creative ways to do that. We've talked a, a little bit about the bias in some of these registries. If you look at the European and the American and the Canadian SCAD registries, actually the Australian too, you would think that SCAD is a white lady problem. Now, my own practice and anecdotal experience is that it is not. It affects all races and ethnicities. There is one study, the Kaiser study in California, they looked at a population base and basically their SCAD patients represented the community in terms of race, ethnicity. So we need those types of studies. And so getting more women of color and men to make sure that it's representative of all the folks that have SCAD. It just needs to be something we're thinking about all the time if we're going to be able to apply what we learn to everybody. Well, this was absolutely a masterclass in spontaneous coronary dissection and women's heart health and research techniques and just how to be an excellent all-around physician and researcher. So I can't thank you enough for being with us here today. And thank you again. Well, thank you so much, Tom. 